What is the setup here? I mean, who's your boss? God. What? My boss. Scott. I'm an angel. I'm one of the best, but I try. And I make mistakes. Guess he figures the only way I'm going to learn is by mistakes. I'm kind of new at this. Hello. Welcome to Highway to Heaven Revisited. Hosted by Rachel Mayer and Joel Luders. With moderator, Sam Hine. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome once again to your favorite Highway to Heaven-related watch-through podcast. It is called Highway to Heaven Revisited. My name is Sam Hine, and I have the illustrious opportunity to be the moderator of this podcast. And as always, I am joined by the most congenial duo in the entire podcasting world. They're the co-winners of the Congeniality Award. Please welcome to the show, Rachel Mayer and Joel Luters. Wow. Hi, hi, Sam. Jeepers. That was a really nice intro. Thank you. I'm feeling like that's a lot to live up to. I mean, whoo. I feel like it was completely accurate and... I know you would, Joe. Long awaited. I just feel a lot of pressure right now. You know, everybody needs a hype man. Whatever you bring to the table, I'm going to pump my fist in the air and be like, yeah, I'm the hype man. That's my job. All right. I can get used to it. I feel like I have to bring something to the table here because my job's relatively easy as far as I'm concerned. I I live at my house. And then on days when you and Joel want to tell me about the brand new episodes you've watched of Highway to Heaven, uh, then I uh, let you guys in the door and you tell me a story. So I figure maybe I should at least be responsible for bringing some energy to the situation. Okay. That makes sense. Sam just needs more jobs. Excellent. (laughs) Yeah. But I have to, a small story to tell before we begin the show. I was actually hoping to bring a different energy to the show today. I was hoping to actually be the object of your guys' envy. You already are, Sam. No, yeah. thank you. <laughs> but go ahead. I thought to myself, you know what, Sam? You've really earned a work chair. So I went over to a giant warehouse of chairs somewhere in the Twin Cities metro area, and I noticed that they closed at 4 p.m., and I was going to get there around 2.30. Oh, okay. Plenty of time Yes, to go to Chair Barn. So we're at the Chair Barn. It's 2.30. There's a lot of chairs to choose from. Somebody comes up immediately, which always makes me kind of gun-shy. It's Uh like I haven't even gone five feet into your store. I can see there's a zillion chairs. I want to sit on them by myself and think about whether or not I'll be sitting by myself in this chair alone for hours. Leave me alone. Let me look at chairs. So I look at chairs. I slowly narrow it down. I'd say about three o'clock, a different salesperson comes up to me and he says, hey, as a courtesy, if you do decide to buy any of these chairs, we have somebody put them together in the back room for you. Takes about 10 minutes. We're happy to do it for you. Let me know if you find a chair you're looking for. And I say, great. Thanks a lot. So I'm still winnowing down the herd and I've got two black chairs with mesh backs that I'm bouncing for. OCD style. One had a bit of a cushier seat than the other. One had a better back support than the other. And like, I just couldn't make a stupid decision. Yeah. So anyway, I noticed in my peripheral vision that they shut off the lights into one of the rooms in the business. And I was like, oh, it must be like four o'clock now. So I uh, bit the bullet on the chair I wanted. I was like, okay, I want this one. And the guy says to me, awesome. Happy to sell you that chair. Do you want to take that floor model you're sitting in right there, sir? Or do you want one in the box that you can take home in your car? And it made sense to me that this is Saturday at 4 p.m. at a chair store. You spent a long time at the chair store. I also entertained a phone call from my nephews. Okay. Uh, It was a rather lengthy phone call, but I always have time for those dudes. So I spent 30 minutes of that hour and a half at least, on the phone with my nephews, just sort of wandering around aimlessly. This is already too long of a story, (laughs) but... I'm wrapped. I understand that it's not a glamorous job putting chairs together in the back room, so I could understand... You're talking about the the stable boy. Yes. Wesley, the the page boy in the back. Who works in the the stables of the chair barn. Yeah, uh, the one with the floppy blonde hair. That guy, he's a salt-of-the-earth kind of guy. He doesn't have to work past 4 p.m. on Saturday. And I'm also not very intimidated by the fact that I might have to assemble a chair myself. You know, I could figure it out and I can do it. I'm not going to belabor the point too much, but what do you think the worst case scenario could be if you got a chair in the box that you have to put together to yourself? Like, what's the biggest hindrance of you not being able to do it? A missing a specific tool? Close enough. I opened up the box last night. No instructions. Oh, Oh, no. (laughs) 
<laughs> lots of screws and one very like questionable metal plate. A couple different variations of washers, a couple different locking <laughs> nut things, uh-huh. and no instructions. And also, listen, guys, I'm pretty good at the internet. Yeah. I haven't broken it as many times as you have, Joel, but you, that's like your Jedi ability. <laughs> I have found that this particular chair I bought is made by a company out of China, and I have found it for sale on a couple like wholesale websites, mm-hmm. but none of those four links to like pictures of the chair contain any hyperlinks to PDFs of instructions. So rather than soldier on and have a good-looking chair for you guys to be jealous of today, right. that you guys are going to make fun of me of my Darth Vader chair, yeah. I just decided not to even try to build it and take it back to the place that sold me the chair on Monday and have Wesley get to business. Wow. That really is an epic story. Yeah, it's probably about 20 minutes too long. I apologize, but that's what happened to me. Yeah, a lot of drama. Did not expect the ending. How about you, Joel? All that I was really concerned about was, why are you only buying one? (laughs) Honestly, up until about the last 10 minutes, I really had zero problem with the chair I was sitting in and that I have been sitting in for how many podcasts have we been doing now? But now I'm just really uncomfortable, really dissatisfied. Well, that's the chair situation. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are all here for one reason and one reason only, and that is to discover what did occur during season one, episode 18 of Highway to Heaven. Rachel, what is the name of today's episode? Today's episode is called A Child of God. Well, with a title like that, this must be an episode of Highway to Heaven, A Child of God. Yeah. All right, so... It's a little vague. We are going to church in this one. This episode was written and directed by Michael Landon. Oh, I I like knowing that. Do you... Never mind. Do you never mind? Never mind. I never mind all the time. (laughs) Okay. um, If I had to take any more guesses about what happens now that you've said it goes on at church, there will definitely be some gospel singing. Okay. And if I had to wager a guess, there's something to do with the church community. It's going to be a church that's in trouble, maybe a church that's going to close down, and Michael Landon is going to swoop in and save the day, probably with a little honest gambling. (laughs) (laughs) Good guesses. We'll see. It's possible. Joel, where does a child of God begin? First, what we see is uh, what I believe is like the Brooklyn Bridge, and then it cuts to the city scenes of like New York. There are taxis. The camera then pans up to a skyscraper in New York City. Then we cut inside the skyscraper to a waiting room, and there's a little girl in the waiting room. She's reading a comic book. She looks kind of frustrated. She brings it over to the stack of magazines and starts going through all the different magazines. Then we see a door open up kind of from the office, and we see a lady stick her head out and look over at the girl. She looks at the girl, this lady, she's kind of sad. Definitely sad. Really sad. Very sad. Then she closes the office door, and we're now in the like little room with the lady. She turns away and stares off into space, and she, you can tell her that she's holding back tears. Okay, so whoever brought that little girl to the dentist, it's a doctor's appointment, it's a dentist's appointment, it's something, the grown-up response for that girl just died in that room. Come on, that's what happened. No, but you're getting the emotion. It's definitely a doctor's office. It's a doctor's office. At one point, they then cut over and you see a doctor talking to some nurses. He looks over at the lady who's kind of despondent and he looks at her and then he walks away. He like looks at her and kind of shakes his head and looks down and then walks away. So she killed somebody. This is crazy. (laughs) This woman, this sad lady, now walks out of the doctor's area and into the waiting room. She then goes up to this little girl, and it becomes pretty clear that this is a mother and daughter combo. So we've got mom and daughter, and now a sad lady, mom, is all smiles. And she's like, how are you doing? Talking to the little girl. are you all ready, kitten? All set, kitten? Mom, you should see the stuff in this book. It's so gross. It shows people with their whole insides sticking out. Mm, don't tell me. I could never be a doctor. I don't know how they look at all that stuff without barfing. What did the doctor say? Oh, you know doctors. They're all so confusing. He must have said something. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you over a hot dog. I'm starved. Me too. Can you believe that? That doctor in there, he told me I had cancer. <laughs> That's hilarious. Let's go get hot dogs. I have a couple questions about the young lady, the child actor. 
how old would we say this child is being portrayed here in this program? Six years old? Well, we actually know. They mention it later. She's nine years old. Okay, she's nine. Nine. So she's in my like book, a, yeah. she's old enough to know. Yeah, she's like a fourth grader. Is this played by a young uh, Soleil Moonfry? Oh. It is played by a young Natalie Gregory, okay. who uh, starred in the television film Alice in Wonderland, 1985. I probably have seen that. You have, definitely. And oh, uh, awesome. she was I've the, seen it. I know yes. you've seen it. And uh, she was the youngest actress to have ever played the role of Alice in a television performance. She looked extremely familiar to me. And maybe it's just because I also saw that Alice in Wonderland production at a young age. I don't remember, but she hasn't really been in anything else memorable. Another interesting fact about Natalie Gregory, when she was in Alice in Wonderland, her real-life sister starred along with her in it. Her real-life sister's name is Sherry Gregory, who is married to actor Michael Landon Jr. Okay, Whoa. so her sister in real life is married to Michael Landon Jr. Daughter-in-law to Michael Landon. That might be a direct result of yeah. this episode. I think we can safely assume that is the case. This might affect the Michael Landon factor this episode moving on, because this episode <laughs> clearly has changed people's lives. Good point. I'll, I'm, mm, I'm going to think about that. Do we uh, entertain a scene eating yes. hot dogs? Yes. So our next shot is we see a hot dog vendor. We're next to a lake. There's ducks on the lake. There's people biking by, sort of in a park setting. And uh, mom and daughter are talking. And Marsha, the mom, starts to tell her daughter, Amy, uh, about what the doctor said. And apparently what the doctor has told her is that she needs to move. So she <laughs> needs a little change for her health. The doctor has told Marsha she needs to get away for a while, but actually she needs to permanently get away for a while. So they're going to make a permanent move. They're moving to California. Okay, right? but they're going together. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Was this some sort of like old-timey doctor? And he's like, the climate. You need a better climate for your tuberculosis. Yeah, that's basically what it sounds like, right? You have to move to the coast for your health. And it turns out they're actually going to California because that's where this little girl's grandparents live. But where we go? To California to see your grandparents. But you said that... I know what I said, but it's been years, and people change. I've changed. I'm sure my father's changed. So we have some implied uh, breach in the relationship with the grandparents. Yeah, some major daddy issues on the horizon. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in fact, yeah. Mom Marcia says, I've changed, maybe Grandpa has changed. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. not right that he hasn't seen his own granddaughter. Then they have a little dialogue exchange that I liked a lot. Amy, the child, she's sad about leaving school and about making this big change and transition, having to go see grandparents that she doesn't know, and she's visibly upset. And the mom goes, You upset? Yeah. You mad? Yeah. You get over it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sure. I like that. They acknowledge hey, the feeling. That's good. I might use that in my own life. Right. Let, let's go through that again. Yeah. What was it? Yeah, yeah. Are you upset, Sam? No. Are you mad? No. Will you will, <laughs> will you get over it? <laughs> yes. There we go. Great. I'm going to pass that around to some people in my life. Yeah, maybe Joel and I can try that in our relationship. I think so. <laughs> I need to... It yeah. seems to be like one of those mythological keys Mr. Rogers found along the way. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh yeah, I know. Are you mad? Are you upset? Will you get over it? That was one of the first tenets of my ethos. You should make a little song about that, Sam. No problem. What kind of Omnicord do you guys want me to play it on? An 84? Oh, your 100? pick. Your pick. 250? I got them all. We trust you. So that's it. That's, that's it. the end of that scene. So the next scene, we are inside an apartment, and the door opens. Mark, John, and a landlady walk inside. She wants to sign a year's lease with them. They're like, we're going to be here 72 hours. <laughs> yeah, they actually say we're only going to be here a month, which seems like a bit of a stretch. Maybe yeah. they have some vacation time coming after this job. And she's like, oh, no, a year you or nothing. Sorry, guys. It's not going to work. And they were like, ah, that's too bad. Charlie Dirt told us about this place and said it was a, it was a good spot. And she's Did you like, say Charlie Dirt? <laughs> Charlie Dirt. Is this Joe Dirt's dad? <laughs> no. And she's like, wait a minute. Where, where are you guys from? And then John's like, yeah, we're from Iowa. Yeah, Jonathan's from Iowa all of a sudden. Well, we're going to have to look somewhere else, but thank you very much. Where are you two from? Iowa. Meriton. Well, I don't believe it. I do from Marrington. You're not going to believe this. Yes, I am. But I used to date Charlie Dern. No. Oh, no. Come on. I don't... A, a tall, red-headed guy? That's him! <laughs> <laughs> no. no. Wait a minute. You are not Betty? Better known as Betty Boop to oh. Charlie? Charlie didn't talk about me, did he? T 
talked about you. He talks about you all the time. I think he's still carrying the torch. <gasps> what a small world. <gasps> oh, isn't it? Oh, listen, just forget about what I said about the lease. You're welcome to stay as long as you need. Okay, so Charlie Dirt is the landlady's old flame. And Michael Landon and she are from the same hometown. I mean, what are the odds? This isn't like a total lie to like get in on some real estate for 72 hours, is it? Yeah, we have Angel lying. He wasn't buddies with Charlie yes. back when, he, if he possibly actually is from Iowa. That's clearly juice from the man upstairs. I don't think he's from Iowa. Maybe like Nebraska, not Iowa. But it works. It works. Totally. She's, yeah, yeah I Of mean, course it works. Yeah. And so there's, like, here's our spinoff. If anybody wants to write the story of Charlie Dirt and landlady Mrs. Harding. I'm going to throw a title in the ring. How about Dirt and Boop? <laughs> it's Dirt and an apostrophe with the letter N <laughs> and Boop. Dirt and Exclamation boop. point. You can see it. You can see the poster, yeah. can't you? Yeah, and and she so this woman is is a short, round, older woman, and Charlie Dern is described as a tall, gangly redhead. So just picture those figures on your spinoff poster as well. Mm-hmm. It kind of looks like the number ten. That's what yeah. I was yeah, saying. Yeah. It's like a yeah. gangly ten. And at this point, the door opens. Yes, and we find out why they have to be in this apartment. So I guess why the lying is justified because who sticks her head in the apartment but Mom Marsha? Marsha has moved into this apartment building with her daughter Amy and her power is out. It's like, oh, I got an electric problem. Mm-hmm. Something's wrong with the fuse box. Landlady Boop's like, it's the weekend. The electrician won't be able to come in until tomorrow. Need some time. And John's like, I know a thing or two. I'm a bit of a handyman. Let me go take a look at that. So then John and Marsh go back to her apartment. And we get one little closing scene with the landlady and Mark. And the landlady's just like, I can't get over it. You two knowing Charlie? What What a, what a world. And Mark's still just shaking his head. And he's like, oh, I can't believe it either. <laughs> Okay, we're in Marsha's apartment now. John's going straight to the fuse box. And I just want to say Marsha did say she already tried turning the fuses on and off. But he's like, you don't have the touch. Yeah, because he goes to the fuse box, looks at it. It's a little like smirky smile he's got. He flips all the fuses with the wave of his hand. Oh, yeah. He doesn't touch them. He just like finger magics them. And they all flip. Flip. Chunk, chunk. Awesome. And the power comes on. Duh, of course. She's like, how did you do this? And he goes, it was magic. See, he acknowledged that little (laughs) magic. First reference of... (laughs) Actual angel magic. Yes. What a prescient name for us to have named these moments in this show. It's just like we were meant to do this show. Angel magic. The daughter Amy runs in and is like, hey, the lights work. He didn't spend the next like five minutes of the TV show bragging about how many cars and air conditioners he's fixed (laughs) along the way, has he? No, come on. That's not his style. That's like something Mark would do. Mom Marsha says something like, I hope I can return the favor sometime. All right. So we have angel magic. And then there comes that angel carrot. Dangling of the angel carrots back. I felt it in this episode. Well, we are kind of halfway through the first season, Mm -hmm. so maybe they haven't decided in the writer's room like how sexy they can go with Landon. Is this an episode he wrote, too? Yes. Okay, that's an interesting little wrinkle where he's the director and he's like, no, I'm going to be hot in this one. Yeah, so there is this vibe, I thought. But then immediately after the vibe, Jonathan does actually have a favor and he asks her if there's a church in the neighborhood. So that kind of killed the vibe a little bit. He's like, do you know of any churches around here? And she's like, yeah, actually, there's a church just down the road. And it's Sunday, and I happen to be going to church. And he's like, oh, interesting. He's like, hey, do you need a ride? I could meet you out front. He says, maybe we could ride together. And then I thought very... Very forward. Very un-1985, though, because I expected her to just say yes. She was kind of like, um maybe we can meet there? And that seemed like the better decision, even though it's Michael Landon. So he actually got shot down. Yeah, he did. A little bit. A little bit. So they agreed to meet at At 9.30 in the front of the church. They're going to church together. I I applaud this mother's behavior around a bird dog like Michael Landon. (laughs) That was the wise thing to do. So Michael Landon leaves and they have a little scene between the daughter and the mom. Hey, mom, are you nervous? And the mom says, yeah, well, you know, nine years is a is a long time. Pastor's kid, pastor's kid alert, mm. pastor's kid alert, mm-hmm. alert, alert, Will Robinson. Okay, so grandpappy's the preacher, okay? Ding, ding. Oh. Got it. Excellent. Okay, let's go to church. So we're going to church. We're at church, and the pastor is up there giving a sermon. What shall we do with those less fortunate in our midst? Shall we say they didn't try hard enough? They don't want to work. All they want is a handout. It is easy to say that 
and pass them by. It's easy because we don't have to make the effort to help them. That's right, the effort. It takes doing, doing for others. But what rewards, what a gift we receive when we open our hearts to our fellow man. Ask yourself these questions. What can I do? How can I help? What am I not doing that must... And then he looks over and he sees Amy <gasps> and he loses his place. Yeah, he, totally. Don't. What am I not doing that must be done to help? So we have this pause in the middle of the aisle staring at his daughter, but then he picks it up and finishes his sermon. And then he walks out of the church and he goes <laughs> and finds the fatted calf and kills the fatted calf for his prodigal daughter has now returned. Join me as we feast. No, that's not what happens. Okay. Agree to disagree. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> that can be in the spinoff. So he just finishes his sermon, and then we're cutting to a new scene. End of church. The pastor's standing at the doorway, shaking people's hands as they go out, greeting everybody. The actor that plays him is William Wyndham. Really, the best way I can describe his acting history is that he was in everything. Then I would probably <laughs> recognize him. If you want to picture him, he was in a lot of episodes of Murder, She Wrote. He always kind of played either a doctor or a detective. Literally, he's a Stern character. And as we learn, his last name is Stearns, Reverend Stearns. A little bit about William Wyndham. Interesting fact, he was married five times. That's a lot. And his family, Wyndham, Minnesota, is named after his like great-grandfather. Whoa, wow. And he bought a small island in Wyndham, Minnesota for $1. His uh, great-grandfather was a one-time member of Lincoln's Kitchen Cabinet, and they turned that island into a wildlife refuge. Is it still a wildlife refuge? Not sure, Can but it's only two hours visit? away. Yeah, podcast field trip. Maybe, Definitely. Maybe in a couple months. We should just do a recording from that island. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's do it, though. That's a great idea. Uh, another interesting fact about William Wyndham, he was a tournament-level chess player, profiled in Chess Life magazine twice. I mean, there's not a lot of competition for that, though. The chess life, though. Yeah. Well, and he's okay. known for his penchant for unusual openings. Well, the big question is, Joel, was he on? Quantum Leap? No. Quantum Leap? No. <sighs> Sliders? Nope. So he wasn't everything on, he wasn't on everything. What about Run, Joe, Run? No. But I believe he was on an episode of Star Trek. I like that. I probably saw it the other day. <laughs> I'm still watching that H&I Network, guys. 5-7 in the Minnesota zone. Get yourself an old-timey antenna. Plug it into that weird-looking plug in the back of your TV and scan it. Scan it good. Yeah. 5-7. Pro, pro tips here. Uh, it's the end of church, and Marsha, his daughter, goes up to him and starts talking with him. And he's like, I want to introduce you to your granddaughter. And how's how's mom doing? And he's just very stoic. Yeah, he's poker face. He's given nothing away. So despite his ability to speak to everybody in the community and at his church, he doesn't really want to talk to his daughter. No, and Marsha asks, how's mom? He says, mom's well. And daughter Marsha's like, that's good. You look wonderful. You haven't changed changed at all and just very straight face he looks at her and he says no i haven't changed at all well great and we have nothing to talk about yeah she asks him if they can talk i wondered if we could talk we have nothing to talk about we haven't had for years amy go wait with jonathan for a minute okay she's a wonderful child why did you come back here I thought it was time to end all this, to try and be like a father and daughter. I have no daughter. She died nine years ago. Whoever you are, please go. This is some Karate Kid 2 level family dynamics. Yeah. I have no son. You are dead to me. Yeah, it's super intense. I mean, it's the only kind of situation that I could see Jaden Smith really playing. <laughs> Tell me more. Tell me more. So we cut to, we're on a porch. It's nighttime. Marsha's sitting out there with her hands folded and she's praying. And John walks up to her and he says, I like to pray under the stars. And she's like, how'd you know I was praying? And she's like sitting there with her head bowed and her hands crossed, <laughs> eyes closed. He's like, I don't know. I just could tell you were wishing or praying or something. Was he still wearing his suit from church? No. He was no, in his denim. No, now he's in okay. denim again. I just want to keep track. No, he's back in total Jonathan form. Marsha says something like, 
like, I actually haven't prayed for a long time. And he's kind of teasing her. He's like, oh, shame, shame. Aren't you the daughter of a minister? Haven't prayed for a long time. There's the old Michael Landon. We all know and love. A little bit of shame-based teachings. But like, he just does it so lovingly, you know? She kind of just laughs. He says to her, you know, people who have been close and then separated for some reason, they always seem to have a very strange kind of uncomfortableness about it. Silly word, but it suits. And she reveals, I got pregnant and then I became imperfect. Yes, I I can see how this would matter to a pastor. Premarital sexual intercourse followed by illegitimate pregnancies. That's a demonstrable offense to some. Yes, and especially in 1985. She's like kind of dealing with like being this pastor's kid. Like this guy is perfect. And what he says is the law. And all these people really respect him. And then Marsha and John have a a nice little interaction. If if Rachel, if you'd be interested in a dramatic reimagining of the lines. Finally. Ladies and gentlemen, I think it's been a couple episodes since we had ourselves a good old-fashioned reenactment, so let's not waste any more time. Let's get right to it. So I'm Marsha, right? Yes. Okay. You can be Marsha. Just, just to make it clear. Uh, no fine. gender reversals this time around? <laughs> I guess I'll go for it. So she's referring to her father, and she says, when he tells you you've sinned, you have sinned. And have you? Well, I have a child and no husband. That's a sin, isn't it? Not giving a child love is a sin. I love her more than anything in the world. Then where is the sin? How can he make me feel so guilty? People who judge others rely on guilt. It keeps them from having to deal with their own feelings. I'm going to let you get back to your praying. That one's kind of heavy. I don't know. (laughs) It is is pretty heavy. I would tend to agree with that statement. What was that about people lording guilt over others? People who judge others rely on guilt. It keeps them from having to deal with their own feelings. Oh, yeah. If you're keeping tabs on everybody else's problems, Mm -hmm. that means you're devoid of problems yourself. There was a lot of bitterness in the tones of voice. I don't think I really get that in my dramatic reenactment, but I felt like she was pretty bitter. Because, I mean, she came all the way out here. She's trying to do the right thing. I mean, you can barely travel farther than New York City to California. I mean, it's a long-ass way. So this scene was interesting because we've touched a little bit on, I grew up in a pretty conservative evangelical Christian family. I went to a very small, private Christian religious school. This was in the 90s. And there were routinely, like, if you got pregnant when you were in high school, that was the sin that cannot be named. I mean, having sex outside of marriage is the sin that you cannot do. But if you actually manage to get pregnant and have some evidence of committing the sin, that's about the worst thing that could happen. Oh, yeah. I was definitely getting reminders of that watching this scene. And so this is from 1985. And then we're jumping ahead about 10 years into the 90s. And it's not much different. Not in my experience in a small Midwestern town as well. When I was in high school, I think there were at least two and maybe three girls who legitimately got pregnant and got kicked out of school. Yeah, I'm not going to go into specifics about who they were, but but there were people who got pregnant in my high school and they stopped going to school. It was Mm -hmm. like sort of this rule, like, well, you can't walk around the school pregnant. I don't know where they went, really. Yeah, I'm assuming the girls from my school just went to public school, but I'm not sure. But the interesting thing was the girls got kicked out, but the guys who were known to father the children did not. Isn't that bizarre? No, they just got to keep going to school? Yeah. That's dumb. Yeah. And I remember like us kind of talking about it and me just getting no really sufficient answer as to why that was the case. Yeah. I mean, if anything, like... Yeah. In my mind, if that's the rule where pregnant girls get kicked out of school, then the guys who make the pregnancies happen automatically have to go get a crappy job at a yeah. gas station or something in town. You automatically are responsible for having a job all the time now, dude. You know, I grew up like very indoctrinated, reading the Bible all the time, hearing about these ways that you're supposed to be a Christian. And I remember being a teenager and being like, aren't we supposed to like love people and help them when they're having problems? Yeah. I don't know that my parents were on board with the kicking the kids out of school, but there were no sufficient answers. There's zero compassion there. And then it also fits into this thing that I always run into, like with so many just jobs in general, where you're like, oh, this person made this big mistake. Let's fire this person for making this big mistake. Then there's the argument I always like is, you know who's not going to make this big mistake again? It's probably the person who did. It's not 100% guarantee, but it's a pretty good chance that if you're going to classify it as a mistake, which I'm not completely in agreement with either. But if you're going to classify it as a mistake, this is a person who's like, no matter what scenario, they're the ones who knows the slippery 
slopes no one talks about that can lead yeah. you to uh, the good intentions that can lead you to hellacious problems. So what what happens next? Where are we? We have the secret phone call. And we have a phone ringing in a dark room. And an older woman picks up the phone, and it's Marsha's mom. Hello? Hello, Mother. Marsh! Oh, Marsh! Your father told me about today. Sarah, who is it? It's uh, Mrs. Angus about the bazaar. You sure they don't need to talk to me? No, no, I'll take care of it. Because I'm the man. I'm the leader of this household. I was born in the 30s. I mean, he basically says that with his eyes. So grandma and mom make a little arrangement over the phone. Which grandpa hears on the phone in the other room (laughs) because he's sneaky. That would be something that would happen frequently in shows in the 1980s. It did not happen in this episode. In a world where there's no cell phones, everybody used to have a phone with a wire that poked into the wall that rang when people tried to call you. And if you were really fancy, you had a phone in one room and a phone in another room and a phone in another room, but it, they all would end up being on the same line. Now, the phone would sometimes make a bit of a clicking noise when you would pick it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I found it was good to, when I was listening in to my babysitter talk to her boyfriend on the phone, I would set like an egg timer, put that in the kitchen, and then I would run to the basement. And when that egg timer went off, then I would pick up the phone. <laughs> Wow. Your genius has no bounds, Joel. Wow. That's incredible. Only child with cats as my best friends. Wow. (laughs) Nothing but time to think these things up. Joel's incredible schemes. We have so many spinoff ideas this episode. (laughs) When are we starting the Joel's Incredible Schemes podcast, guys? What are you doing tomorrow, Joel? Incredible schemes, baby. Highway to Heaven Revisited will return after a brief intermission. This is the intermission. It is happening right now. Please subscribe to Highway to Heaven Revisited wherever you get your podcasts. That way, you will never miss an episode. Visit our website, highwaytoheavenrevisited.com to listen to every episode of the podcast. While you are there, you will find links to our social media pages, contact information, and ways you can help support the show. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider supporting Highway to Heaven Revisited on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash highway to heaven revisited to see the variety of special perks exclusive to Patreon patrons. Is your company interested in sponsoring Highway to Heaven Revisited? Please send an email to Highway to Heaven Revisited at gmail.com. Sam has been waiting his whole life to read your ads on the show. Intermission is over. And so mom and grandma agree to try to secretly meet once dad has left for the day because she wants her to meet their granddaughter. Grandpa was not listening in on the other end of the line, but pretty soon after grandma hangs up on the phone, all of a sudden the door swings open and he just like ominously looms in this darkened room with the light behind him from the other room. And he goes, that was Marsha, wasn't it? So he was somehow listening in. Yeah, He was eavesdropping yeah. to some degree, yeah. just not the sneakiest degree he could because he's, he's a dummy. Correct. <laughs> and also probably too cheap to have more than one phone right. in his house, sounds yeah. like. Yeah, I don't think they had two phones. No. And so then grandma says like, well, hey, you know, I want to see our granddaughter. And the preacher's like, no, but you know what? I'll put an end to all of this. It sounds like this is a very happy, loving marriage between these two old people. You have a, a the big bad boss guy and then the poor woman who married him. Him when she was 20. Yeah. Let's just have a moment of silence for um, old ladies in marriages that they really hung in on with jerky dudes. The world's greatest generation, right? Yep, right. your grandparents. We've recognized that moment of silence and we're going to continue on with this compelling narrative. We're going back to church. It's after hours. It's a dark church. It could be the middle of the night for I'm, all I know. I'm assuming it's the same night. Well, I think grandpa left and went to church. I mean, they probably live right next door to church. The parsonage, correct? Right, exactly. You know, if he's going to be a total moody monster, he can just hang out in his office at the church. He is in the... Pews. The pews. He's sitting mm-hmm. in a pew praying. And then John walks up to him wearing his suit and tie. Horror movie style. Yes. Yeah. I'm sorry if I startled you. Oh, it's all right. I didn't hear you come in. Do I know you? No, I'm not a regular member of the congregation. I did hear your sermon today, though. It was very good. Thank you. Mr. 
Jonathan Smith. Mr. Smith. I hate to bother you now, but I wondered if I could talk to you, ask some advice. Of course. Sit down. John says, well, you see, I've got this friend that's fallen out with her family. She wants to get back in with him because she loves him very much. It's just uh, her father won't bend. I was wondering if there was any chance of you getting them together, you know, like to talk to them together as some form of counseling. And he's like, well, sure, I'll help. And he totally doesn't recognize Michael Landon as the dude who is sitting with his daughter and his granddaughter who he's never met in church earlier that day. In his defense, he might have been fairly distracted by the unexpected appearance of his daughter he hasn't seen for nine years. Well, we're going to roll with it. Yeah. If he agrees, I will counsel your friends. And so John has set the trap and then he pulls the string and says... It's you. Nice. Reverend Stearns is upset. And throws a punch. (laughs) And Michael Landon turns intangible, and his fist goes through Michael (laughs) Landon's face. And he's so old that the inertia spins him around, and he topples over into the next pew. And he's got a broken hip. Right? Um, Close. I mean, I didn't didn't watch this. I was going to say, did you watch this, Sam? (laughs) What does he have to say now that he's so upset? Well, he stands up and he just says, this doesn't have anything to do with you. Everything that's been said has already been said between me and my daughter. We have nothing else to say to each other. And then Jonathan kind of lays into him. He says, so you're willing to counsel total strangers, but you're not willing to talk to your own child? To which the reverend says, my daughter is an adulteress. He didn't chuckle at the end of it, though. (laughs) Intense. Yeah. And then Michael Landon says, do you consider your daughter worse than a murderer? He goes, even someone on death row gets to see a man of the cloth. Good point. There's some major crutch kicking happen right now. (laughs) Reverend is not backing down, even though that crutch is getting kicked out. The Reverend says, my daughter has never asked for forgiveness. So that's the key. Oh, so you have to ask for forgiveness. That's how forgiveness works? But he says she wasn't sorry then, and she's not sorry now. That's how it works, apparently. I guess I've got my whole life philosophy Mm -hmm. backwards. (laughs) Jonathan says something like, you have a wonderful daughter. And a wonderful grandchild. And a wonderful grandchild. Should she be sorry for that? Reverend's not backing down. No, he goes, this discussion is over, Mr. Smith. Yeah, it's not a real baby that my daughter had. There was no husband involved, and that baby has not been baptized in the Lord's house. So therefore, it's not a real child. Clearly. It's a figment of everyone's imagination. The Reverend gives uh, John a piece of advice, and he says, you know what, if you want to help my daughter, pray for her soul. To which Jonathan says, it's more important, Reverend, that I pray for yours. (laughs) (laughs) Pow! Whoa! That is some serious, like, Jet Li-style crutch kitchen. Yeah. Crutch crutch kicking. Yeah. That's like faster than the camera can record it. Yes. Yeah. You guys do know that Jet Li had to slow down his karate moves during the filming of Lethal Weapon 3, right? No. Because it was just too blurry on the cameras. They're like, whoa, Jet Li, put the brakes on like three-quarter speed, okay? Because it just looks like you're a Spider-Man right now. Whoa, is that a true fact? I think I saw it on <laughs> Entertainment Tonight back so, in the day. Yeah. Da, 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 da. Is that the Entertainment Tonight song? Yeah. Okay, thank you. Well, watch out. We don't want to get demonetized. Okay, so John Tesh would love to be on this show. <laughs> John, John Tesh, you are welcome. It's welcome. Yeah. John Tesh, as you can see, this podcast needs a legit theme song. If you're out there, you are the man for the job. What's John Tesh up to these days? Uh, hopefully, he's <laughs> writing our theme song in a couple months. Yeah, send us a couple previews for us to listen to. Yeah, some we're going to need some sketches from you, Mr. Tesh. And if you could send them with a mood board. That'd be great. John Tesh, if you're out there, that number is 612-FLOWBIZ5. Hit us up, and you can do that job. No problem for us. We would love it. Yep. Yep. And if you have any way to get a hold of Allison Duty, please also enclose that information in your voicemail. That would be much appreciated. So we're going to lighten things up a little bit. First of all, we're going back to the daytime. We're stepping out of these moody night scenes. Yes. We're, we're in the car with Mark and Jonathan and Marsha and Amy. John's driving. They're talking about going to Disneyland. They're just talking about it like that would be fun. And everyone's like, yeah, that would be fun, right? They're on their way to the parents' house because that's what they made plans to do. So Mark and Jonathan, for some reason, are dropping them off. And they pull up to the grandparents' house. Mom comes running out. I should, I'm should. i using mom grandma. for both moms. Grandma. Grandma comes running out. She's super excited to see Marsha. I think grandma has tears in her eyes. Yes. 
Because she has feelings. Yeah, they gave each other a big hug. There's happy string music playing. So happy. She's like, you're finally here. I've been trapped alone with your angry father for nine years. Mm-hmm. He thinks you're garbage, but I know the truth. Yeah, I love you. If only you would ask for forgiveness. Call the police. Take me with you. <laughs> they embrace, then they turn, and they look at little Amy. Everybody is all smiles. And then there's a little bit of awkwardness at this point, I would say. Your father's here. He knew it was you on the phone. I tried to talk to him again last night, but you know how he can be. Yeah, I know. Do you think it might be better if I come with you? No, it's all right. I want to speak to both of you. Michael Landon screwed up your plan. He made this a family meeting, so we can't have fun alone. And they kind of determined, like, well, maybe Amy shouldn't come in this time. Hey, Mark and John, do you mind if you take Amy with you somewhere? And Mark is like, we'll get some ice cream. Nothing like ice cream for breakfast. Then we cut inside and we see Grandpa is inside the house watching through the window as the car drives off with Mark, John, and Amy. And he's looking pissed off. I mean, surprise, surprise. He's really digging in his heels. I mean, he's had nine years to get started. Marsha and Grandma walk into the house, and I thought in a very solid show of solidarity, they're actually walking in with their arms around each other's shoulders. So they're standing like hip to hip for the entirety of this conversation. I feel so badly for these women. <laughs> yeah. I'm, just, I'm, I'm just feeling a lot of empathy for these women, having to deal with this old school dude. He's got the souls of a whole community to take care of. He is saving his family from hell. Yeah, I mean, he's just got to hold on to that string. Everybody else in his family is dangling over the vast abyss of volcanic ash and screaming demons. Wow. I imagine that must be what he's going through. I always like to give a little bit of humanity to the... I still uh, don't like him, though. No, 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 no. They're not really giving you a lot to like about him no, at the moment. No. This is definitely another black and white character situation here. All yeah. right. So how do they open it up? Marsha's coming in pretty business-like, actually. She says straight up, I didn't expect to be welcomed back. I came to talk to you about your granddaughter. Marsha tells her parents that she's at a crossroads. Marsha has done very well in the advertising business, and apparently she is up for a promotion, which she would like to take. But this promotion is going to require constant travel. She's going to be on the road and she's not going to be able to bring her daughter with her. This is a very uh, illustrious lie. It is. This is a real complicated story. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, so you can see where this is going. She's actually asking her parents if they'll take Amy and raise her. Because she's dying. Well, no, because she got a job offer. Okay, so this is actually real? But no, I want to say at this point... At this point, while we're watching, and I turn to Joel and I go, she's totally lying. And I'm like, wait, what? Because, Why? yeah, she's dying. Yes. I'd forgotten she was dying. I was like, oh, she made a big in the advertising business? Oh, yeah, that was the office she was in at the beginning. This is a lot like an episode of Mad Men. She wants to become partner. So I think Joel was legit, like, buying this story. I okay. really wish I hadn't said anything. I was thinking about, like, the difficulties of having a career and having a family. But you might have figured it out, because she goes on to say, Grandpa's still not happy about any of this. And he's like, what, so you just want us to take your daughter until you're ready to come back and get her that's not fair and marcia says no i want you to like take her for good and raise her and i'll be out of her life and i'll sign the papers so that right there should be pretty suspicious. Yes. Marsha and Grandpa are still just completely upset with each other. And Grandpa's saying, how do we know you're not going to change your mind? How do we know you're not going to back out of this deal? And Marsha, with a lot of attitude, says, I'm a sinner, not a liar. Well, that's a good burn. That's a good <laughs> pastor's kid's burn. And Grandma is understandably concerned. She's like, Marsha, do you know what you're doing? Why are you doing this? But it, the conversation ends with, with them kind of agreeing to it. But at no point does she reveal that she's actually dying. She makes up this weird story about, my job's going to be too busy, so I can't be a mom anymore. Right, so I'm stepping out on the mom game. Uh I'd like you to raise her, because clearly this was a great environment for me to grow up in. So I want to make sure that my daughter really knows misogyny. Right. She needs to live with her grandpappy. But, I mean, what options does she have? She's a single mother. I think she senses that she doesn't have a lot of friendships. Clearly she has no trust in her father's ability to reason, so she's not actually going to say, like, I got a real bad prognosis at the doctor's office. I have to make up a story about getting a cool job. Very strange angle. This is a weird decision she's made. We're going to get a little more information on why she makes the decision a bit later in the show. Okay. Then she says to her dad, I'll go then. Love her. And that's it. And then we're outside the apartment. 
Marsha goes and meets Mark and John and Amy. She's wearing a really cool red fedora I, I liked. And mom says, like, it all worked out. Everything's fine. Let's go do something fun. Want to go to the amusement park? I gave you away to your grandparents today. Do you want to go ride a roller coaster? So then we cut to an amusement park, which yeah. is Six Flags Magic Mountain. Valencia, California. Cool. Do you think that roller coaster is still there? Oh, it's probably been replaced at this point. It was a wooden roller coaster painted white, and we see Mark walking, eating a big tub of popcorn. Mom and daughter are ahead of them, heading towards the roller coaster. Amy's like, hey, Mark, let's go on this roller coaster. And Mark says, if I got on that thing, even my beard would turn green. (laughs) Okay, scaredy cat, the women will go it alone. I actually get motion sick on just about anything these days. You know what makes me most motion sick? Straight up old school swings set. Wow. Just swinging. I can just feel my brain just like sloshing around in my skull. That's really interesting. Also on the Ferris wheel. The last time I rode a roller coaster, I didn't experience any nausea. It was super fun. But like the slow moving kid stuff yeah. makes me real sick to my stomach. I've always found Ferris wheels just terrifying. I used to love roller coasters, but the last time I went on a roller coaster was probably like seven or eight years ago. And I was just terrified. I remember being on the roller coaster and being like, this is so <laughs> like it just it just was not fun yeah they clearly name dropped disneyland right. yeah but then true. they go to six flags yeah. yeah so i don't understand why they couldn't have just gone to disneyland somebody has to have the answer to that i wonder if michael landon jr knows mm. or john tesh or allison duty <laughs> i bet allison duty does gosh i just wish she would return my emails guys <laughs> You should maybe take a break from emailing her for a little bit. I I mean, I've only been emailing her like two or three times a week. (laughs) So everybody's having fun at the amusement park. It's almost like this could be the end of the show. Everything's resolved. That's how Mark feels. Mark turns to Jonathan and says something like, I'm so glad everything worked out. And Mark's all smiles and Jonathan is not. Jonathan has a very thoughtful, serious look on his face. And he turns to Mark and he says, it's all an act. It's an act. This isn't real. And Mark just is like, cut to an amusement park montage. Mom and daughter riding the roller coaster, looking at each other, smiling, happy together. Then we cut to a bedroom. There's a close up of like a little plastic toy doll. It looked like a little belly dancer doll. Wow, I totally don't pay attention to the details. And the camera then pans over and you see it's a bed and then you see the daughter laying in bed and the mom is very close talking to her. It's the mom and daughter are talking and they're basically like, yeah, you know what? We're going to do everything together. The mom's just like, we're going to have a whole lot of fun. We're going to go everywhere and have as much fun as possible. I love you so much. I love you too, mom. The little girl even goes with the, I love you so much, mom. I love you. Yes, ma'am. She even gives her mom a yes, ma'am. I think I must have gone to the bathroom during that scene or something. <laughs> as the mom leaves, the daughter goes, can you leave the hall? light on she's like sure thing nobody's getting the whole story here no okay so children don't deserve to know anything by continually showing children not being given crucial information they're kind of proving over and over again the point that maybe we should talk to kids about what's going on yeah so we go out into the apartment kitchen and jonathan is actually washing dishes apparently mark was falling asleep so he says something like mark says good night mark went back to our apartment Mark said goodnight. I noticed he was having trouble keeping his eyes open at dinner. <laughs> I know it. Well, you're sure full of energy today. I know. I feel hyper. Well, probably from getting everything straight now with your father. It is. It's like a weight being lifted off me. She is a little hyper. She's like, guess what I did today, Jonathan? I went and saw Amy's father. Apparently, she went by where Amy's father, this kid, works. And he still works there. So we get a little more information. Marsha did not talk to him. She just went and looked at him, which is just sad. This man doesn't know anything about Amy. He's married. He was married. That was the big problem. I see. Mm -hmm. So we get a little bit of a backstory. Amy's father was and is married. But Marsha says that she loved him and she never thought Amy was a mistake. And she actually wanted to have him his baby. Marsha knew he would never leave his family, but she still wanted to have his baby and she's really happy that she did. She just wanted to go look at him a little bit through the window. It's, That's... It's, it's like a hyper sad scene. Yeah, it's, it's very sad. Energy. This yeah. is bumming me out. And here's where I should let you know, Marsha, the actress looks really familiar. Her name is Colleen Maloney. She's just in a ton of things, but she looks a lot like Carrie Fisher. I'm a big Carrie Fisher fan. May she rest in peace. At this point, Marsha kind of like stops and takes a little sigh and and uh, she's starting to feel faint. Jonathan says, are you, are you, you feeling all right? She's like, yeah, 
day, I'm just fine. It's just a big day. A wild day I've had. And she thanks him for being a friend. And Jonathan says, you have a lot more of them than you know. And then they just say goodnight. Well, I wouldn't say like two friends is a lot more than zero, but I guess it is from a certain point of view, like percentage wise. Yeah, she doubled it. So then we are now back in John and Mark's apartment. It's the middle of the night. Lights are out. Mark's sleeping on the sofa bed. John's just staring out the window. (laughs) What's the matter? been pacing around like that ever since you came in i don't know i sense something what about marcia yeah sure you're not just bothered she straightened things out with her father and you couldn't oh come on mark no i mean she looked awful happy tonight jonathan amy honey what's wrong my mom she fell in the bathroom and i can't get her up This is going to get very depressing very quickly. (laughs) Yep. So they're all like, call an ambulance. Start setting up the dolly shot for the moon. We need to start. (laughs) We need a dolly track leading out this window here. We're going to do a close up, just a walking zoom on the moon here. We are going back to the hospital. We've been in the hospital a lot in this series. Jonathan and Grandma are talking to the doctor, but we find out the Reverend wouldn't come. This guy is stubborn. This guy just needs to like take a long walk up a short pier. He's the reason we have term limits. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's like there might have been a reason that you had certain skills that were good briefly, but. You've had power for too long. In the background, we can see Mark and Amy are sitting together. Yeah, I think Mark's kind of good with the kids, yeah. actually. Yeah, so the doctor is talking to Grandma and Jonathan, and the doctor is saying... Will she have to stay in the hospital long? No. We can release her in a day or so. But if she wants to stretch the time that she has left, we'd better see to it that she doesn't weaken herself this way. Time she has left? I... I certainly thought that you'd know. Know what? Your daughter is terminally ill. She has less than six months. Six months at the most. Do they spell out what she has? They don't. Okay. She's got the sickness. Grandma takes it in. She's shocked, but strong. And she just asked to go see you, Marsha. And then we cut away. We're to the grandparents' house. It's a close-up of a cuckoo clock. And we pan over to Grandpa sitting, reading the Bible. It's going to get a little spooky. Get it real spooky for yeah. me, guys. All of a sudden... Out of the shadows. There's Jonathan. How did you get in here? That doesn't matter. Your daughter needs you now. Oh. Well, I know she's in the hospital, but let me tell you something. That is an act. She wants us to feel sorry for her. Now, let me tell you something, it will not work. No. I told her that we would raise that child if she went away and never came back. She said she would. Now she wants our pity so that we will take her in. Well, the answer is no. You can tell her that for me. Your daughter will keep her promise about not coming back. You see, she's dying, Reverend. Oh, that's a lie. Oh, no. She's known for some time, that's why she came back here. Marsha wanted you to take Amy in out of love, not out of pity. So she would learn to feel safe with you and love you before her mom died. And Grandpappy says, ah, joke's on everyone. I'm incapable of either pity or love. (laughs) Well, he goes on and he says, your daughter carried all that by herself for her loved ones. Amazing, isn't it? After everything you've done, your daughter still loves you. You call that child of God a sinner. Now that is a world-class crutch Mm -hmm. kick. And you know what? That one, we're finally kicking the crutch out. We're getting through. There's a pause and Grandpa goes, Jonathan, my wife took the car. Can I go with you? So all it took (laughs) to finally get through to this stubborn, stubborn old man was for his daughter to die. That's it. (laughs) I mean, yeah, he finally got cracked open, but like, Marsha doesn't need a dude like this in her life at all. Well, she's not going to have him for much longer. No. So we're going back to the hospital. Hey, gaffing department, how long we got until the uh, track's set up for that uh, shot on the moon? 15? 15 minutes, everyone. This one did get the feels in me a little bit. I think... It broke through your walls? Yeah. So we're back at the hospital. We're looking at Marsha in her bed. Grandma's standing at the end of Marsha's bed, and the reverend enters the room and goes and kneels down next to Marsha's bed. Supplicant. He actually like puts his head on her shoulder. He like lays his head down on her shoulder. Father, things didn't work out quite the way I'd planned. I thought about telling you that. I understand. I wanted to hurt you the way you had hurt me in the long 
longer we've been apart, the more I wanted to forget you. Can you ever forgive me? Forgive you? I don't want you to go away. I want you to stay here with us. We have so much to say. We have so much to say and so little time. Please don't go. And then she starts petting his hair. Well, good to know that. Everybody's crying. Everybody's crying. I didn't have any notes for that. I think I was just crying the whole time. I literally just wrote, Grandpa walks in, (laughs) and then there's nothing. I can imagine that there was finally that moment of release where you see the humanity behind this man who has just been pounding away with his judgment. Right. uh, I mean, what so many things come down to is the little kid response of like, you hurt my feelings and I want to hurt your feelings. And mm -hmm. it's just as simple as that. So we've finally seen Grandpappy crack open like a walnut here and at least show some compassion for his daughter. So he's finally decided to let the family be his family. It's just, it's all still really sad though because that scene actually ends with Marsha as she's like petting her dad's head and everyone's crying. Marsha's like, he loves me, mama. He loves me, which was sad and emotional, but it also kind of made me be like, (laughs) really? Like, like, don't yeah, try a little harder or something? I don't know. Yeah, I, like, it, let's give him so until tomorrow weird. or the day after. Like, how's Grandpa's attitude really gone? Like, right. Give him 48 hours. I he's been know, working I mean, so long on his habits. The thing is, I don't think he's ever, like, feigned. Like, okay, I do love you. I am sweet. Mm-hmm. So even for him being, like, slightly different than normal, I think is kind of believable, if okay. that makes sense. We're kind of winded down here, actually. Yeah. Final scene. Final scene. Mm-hmm. We're at the church. Church bell are ringing people are going into the church it's a sunny day i'm still holding out for a little gospel singing give me what i want guys there's no gospel singing sam no the grandpa is up at the front he uh introduces the congregation to his daughter and grandchild that's a very nice thing to do and then he goes on and gives a sermon which uh, i wrote some bits about i mean i've got the whole thing and i'm trying to decide this is it this (laughs) is what ends the show what if we go against format and i read the sermon whoa <laughs> Let's hey. do it, guys. Hey, yeah. all right. Yeah. All right. Okay. Uh, Rachel is just highlighting the yeah. part of the... Ooh, that's a very long part. <laughs> all right, here we go. You volunteered. All right. Yeah. All right, get ready. Give yourself a little time to get into character if you need to. We speak often of how much children can learn from their parents. I'd like to talk about what I learned from my child. LT deals with judging others. We all do it. LT? Spell check. <laughs> What's LT. It deals with judging others. It. All right. I'd like to talk about how I learned. Oh, my gosh. I'd like to talk about what I learned about. Oh, my God. (laughs) Let me start over. This is not a bad idea. I'm going to kill this. I'm going to crush this, guys. We speak often about how much children can learn from their parents. I'd like to talk about what I learned about from my child. It deals with judging others. We all do it. You do it. Your minister does it. We read about it in a newspaper, and we judge them. We judge our friends. We judge our loved ones. In doing so, we play God. Although not the type of God we worship here, for he is the last to judge. Why then should we take it upon ourselves to do so? We even judge someone for worshiping in a different manner than we do. In doing so, we create prejudice. A man asked me once, if I had a chance, would I rather face an atheist with a gun or a Christian with a gun? Of course, I told him I would rather face neither. He suggested because one man was a Christian, he was automatically better than an atheist. Is that true, or is that just a judgment? You cannot go to heaven if you do not believe in God. Is that true, or am I merely judging by saying yes? Am I supposed to believe that someone who has led a good life and helped others will be condemned by God because he does not believe? I don't think so. I do not believe that God looks so much for recognition as he does for the good in each and every one of us. Spend your time on earth loving, not judging. Then we will truly be the children of God. End scene. There's like a pan-up shot to the church spire, and I think some kind of nice music. Yeah, and it fades out. 
Well, that, that was a pretty satisfying ending. There have been faster turnarounds for characters on the show, but mm. um, I feel like that would have been a pretty satisfying ending as far as like putting a little more meat on the bone to show the good side of Grandpappy after he finally came to his senses. Well, and I also just have a hard time changing, and so sometimes I get really frustrated with these characters, but I do believe people can change. So yeah, it's possible that the Reverend had that quick of a turnaround, and then I do like that they showed him being able to communicate that in his sermon Mm -hmm. so it it does seem pretty sincere to me i really like the line about i don't believe that God looks so much for recognition as he does for the good in each and every one of us. I liked that. Mm-hmm. That always seemed to be the problem that I would run into at church. Or I'd be like, so wait, how does this actually work? So if I say I believe, does that put me on a different list? So that's the fundamental, most important thing before anything else? I always had a big problem with that. I was like, but what? Like, why does that matter? Santa only gives gifts if you say that you recognize Santa? And also, I felt like there was a bit of a mission statement for the whole show. Oh, Definitely. Yeah, I agree. You know, because the whole show, it's like, are we doing it to recognize God, or are we doing it to highlight the good, or doing the good thing, not the easy thing? I liked the inclusiveness of believers and non-believers, mm-hmm. and the talking about humanity in that speech. It does a good job like reframing it from whose version of religion is better, but ultimately to like, why do we need to recognize them in our own particular way? This is the episode I've enjoyed the most of at least the last few that we've watched. We don't have to go through the list, but would you say it's in your top five? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'd I'd have to take a little time to think of my top five, but I think this one would be in it. Well, thanks for telling me that wonderful story of the Marsha and Grandpappy saga. Yeah, this is a pretty good one. Uh, Really, the, the moral of the story for me is that I'm glad that Michael Landon went on a limb to show the world that old guys can change and children deserve to know what's going on in their family's lives. And that yeah. you can still love somebody even though they break some rules that are in the Bible. The thing that kept coming back to me was just this act of like asking for forgiveness versus just the act of giving it whether someone asks it or not. Like just forgive someone else in your own heart. Because mm-hmm. in my own life, that's been the most effective thing of just being like, I forgive this person. I could tell them, but what's most important is just being able to make this right with myself. I think that's a good lesson for everybody. It's definitely not one of my strong points as a human being. It's like, what's this fire that's burning up my heart? Oh, I've got all this anger associated with this thing. Well, what if I just say I forgive them. Can I do that? And I remember doing that a few times in my life and then just feeling like this heartburn that I'd had just got cooled. It's like the only time I've ever actually felt like a magic spell when saying out loud, I forgive this person. Well, it's your sort of, I mean, a really concrete way to just rewrite the story. It's the only thing you can control is I'm changing the narrative and I'm going to choose to change the way I'm feeling about this. Because really it's a self-imposed prison. Yeah. You know, most people you're mad at, they're not even worried about you being Mm -hmm. mad at them. They're just living their lives and they don't have this knot of tension in their stomach. No, they've moved on to other problems. They're mad at other people. They're not even thinking about you. They got their own tension knot they're working on with somebody else. Mm -hmm. For me, I mean, there's so much in this episode, but really the big takeaway that I have is the emphasis at the end on not judging each other, which has sort of been a reoccurring theme. It's so simple. For a while, my mantra that I literally would just say all the time was suspend judgment, which we've all heard. And it's so simple, but it's just really difficult. You might have noticed I have a little bitterness in my earlier stories about some things, and it's really hard to uh, suspend judgment and forget that everyone's coming from their own personal experiences, and most of us are actually doing the best we can with the information and experiences we've had up until this point in our life. So Mm -hmm. that was a nice little reminder for me. Also, I really like Mark's reminder to eat ice cream for breakfast. (laughs) Why not? Right? Why not? Why not? Mm -hmm. Episode 18 of season one. Let's get down to the details. You know what I'm talking about, ladies and gentlemen. I'm talking about the Landon Factor. All right. uh, I don't know who was up first last week. Uh, Let's just go with uh, Joel. Season one, episode 18, A Child of God. Walk me through it. And what's your overall Landon Factor of this episode? Here's what we've got going for us. First off, written and directed by Michael Landon. Boom. Next, the actor 
actress who played Amy, Natalie Gregory. Due to this episode, we can pretty much assume this led to her becoming part of Michael Landon's own family, her sister marrying Michael Landon Jr. Also, we had some angel magic turning on and off the fuses. We had two different horror movie entrances, Mm -hmm. one in the church, one in the study. Uh, We had some angel lying by saying that you knew where you were from and then saying that I'm from Iowa. He got to be, you know, uh, his charismatic romantic self. So there was the angel carrot and he actually said the word magic. Yeah. In the the fuse box scene. We got great examples of the uh, crutch kicking, the shame negging, Mm -hmm. which I think is part and parcel to the show. He negs Marsha on the porch a little bit, but then ultimately negs the pastor and kicks his crutch in to get him to open up his eyes to it. I have to say for Landon Factor... I'm going to go 9.7. Whoa. Is that the highest you've gone? Yes. We got a 9.7 from Joel. I completely understand why you gave it that rating. It's definitely deserving of a very high rating, and I don't even have to get into it. I agree with all your reasons. But compared to the first episode of this show, and I believe you rated the two-part pilot episode (laughs) a 10 on the Michael Landon factor. I did rate it a 10, and I've thought about that a lot. But I still stand by my 10. Well, you have to. There's no take backsies here. <laughs> and I would say there wasn't as much Landon charm. Yeah, I would, I would in tend this to agree episode with that. as mm-hmm. the first one. There wasn't that real twinkle in the eye, the audience falling in love with Michael Landon. We encountered Marsha not taking the bait on the carrot right away, escorting right. herself to meet him at a second location rather than being endeared by said charm mm-hmm. and going with him to the second location. Uh, I'm going to go with 8.5. Well, there's 0.7 difference between 8.5 and 9.7. No, wait. There's no. 14. Oh my God, this oh is bad goodness. math. No, I think oh it's I think goodness. it's 9.1. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I think what's clear here is that I was a theater major in college <laughs> and uh, took zero math classes. Mm-hmm. So season one, episode 18, overall Michael Landon factor of 9.1. I think that is an accurate score for the show. Agreed. It's definitely in the top three oh, rated yeah. episodes on this podcast yeah. so far. Awesome. Well, Joel and Rachel, I couldn't be more honored that you continue to take me on these journeys, exploring the themes of humanity and forgiveness, all those lessons that we can all learn from this incredible show, Highway to Heaven. Joel and Rachel, thank you once again, and I'll I'll see you next time. I'll see you next time, Sam. Thanks, Sam. Next time on Highway to Heaven Revisited. Daddy, don't look so nervous. I've driven a van before. I'm not worried about the van. Then what? Someone to feed me. Well, I'm your date. Why shouldn't I be the one? I think our friend Scotty is smitten with your cousin. Well, I hope we don't get too serious. Oh, you mean because he's handicapped? Highway to Heaven Revisited is the galaxy's only podcast offering a comprehensive view of Michael Landon's classic 1980s television series, Highway to Heaven. Do you want to watch along with Rachel and Joel? Highway to Heaven is streaming almost anywhere. Check your favorite streaming platform to see if it is available. Please follow Highway to Heaven Revisited on Instagram. That's at Highway to Heaven Revisited. Do you have a question or comment for the hosts or moderator? Call the Hotline to Heaven. The number is 612-356-2495. That number again is 612-FLOW-BIZ-5. Your message might be played on the show. Or send the show an email at Highway to Heaven Revisited at gmail.com. Your message might be featured on the show. If you have time, please rate and review Highway to Heaven Revisited wherever you get your podcasts. If you like this podcast, please share it with a friend. Theme music composed by Brian Just. Thank you for listening, and be sure to join the gang for the next episode. Highway to Heaven Revisited is a Channel 3 TV production. Hey everybody, Sam here. 
I just wanted to pop in at the end of the podcast just to clarify a couple things. Uh, We don't really like to talk about the nuts and bolts of podcast making on Highway to Heaven Revisited because that makes podcasts boring when people talk about how they make things. Joel and Rachel and I spent a lot of time recording episodes well in advance of their release date. As it may have been apparent to you during the listening of this episode, we recorded it so far in advance that Brian just hadn't written us a theme song yet. So we offered John Tesh the opportunity to come up with a theme song for the show. Listen, John, the offer of the main theme song is no longer on the table, but if you would like to contribute John Tesh music to the program, we're certainly open to the idea of a musical bumper for, let's say, the moral of the story or the Michael Landon factor. But unfortunately, John Tesh, Brian just wrote us a great theme song, and we just don't have the need. However, John, if you have any way of getting us in touch with Allison Duty, please feel free to uh, get in touch with us on the hotline to heaven. That's 612-356-2495. 612-FLOBIZ5. Thanks, John. Hope to hear from you soon.